The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What was real and what wasn't in 2020? Welcome to a very philosophical edition of Fantasy Baseball Today. On Tuesday, November 3rd, Frank Stample here, all alone. No Scott White, no Chris Towers, no Adam Azer. They've all abandoned me. I feel like the John Travolta gif where he's looking around in Pulp Fiction, like, where is everybody? I'm all alone. Um, JK, I'm not alone. But none of those usual suspects are here today. Scott is an Iron Man. I don't think he missed a single podcast throughout the season, so I hope he's enjoying his week off, which brings us to our special guest. Obviously, today is a very special day, one that will change the course of history. I knew I needed somebody to match the magnitude of this day. So I dove deep into the depths of fantasy baseball Twitter and found just the man, the host of the Bases Loaded podcast, contributor at Rotoballer, a.k.a. Sleepy K, which we're going to get into. I don't know what this is all about. It is Mike Curlin. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin, K-U-R-L-A-N-D. What's going on, man? Dude, that intro, I got to give it to you, man. From one host <laughs> to another, there's a reason why you're doing the big time gig and I'm, I'm over here with the startup. Not oh, man, but stop. I, <laughs> you said, dude, that intro was awesome. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm happy to be here, man. I mentioned it a little bit off air. And I'll be honest about that. This is like one of those big time moments for me. Like I, I couldn't, I can't thank you enough for having me, man. This is awesome. Yeah. We did talk about that a little bit before <laughs> the show. And uh, I mean, let's just be honest with our listeners and our viewers a little bit here. It was a yeah. surreal moment for me joining the podcast as the host here. And I appreciate everyone that has reached out throughout the season and after the season. Uh, and that has enjoyed fantasy baseball today with me as the host. Obviously Adam has done a fantastic job for the past decade or so and everyone has that's contributed Scott White obviously and, and Chris Towers and anyone else who's come along with Nando DeFino and Al Melchior as well but I mean this was really a surreal gig for me to land because I grew up listening to this podcast this was like the first fantasy baseball podcast that I ever listened to and it started I started listening back in like 2010 when I was going to college and stuff so uh, it is surreal and we spoke about that before the podcast so look that's just one of the, I assume, many things that we share uh, that we basically grew up listening to the podcast. And look at us. Look at us, Mike. Now we're here. <laughs> we're here. Hey, Ma, I made it. That's a song, right? There's a song reference. Ah, there you go. You made it, Adam, man. Adam's not here, though. Adam, he would have sang it for us. 
He probably would have. Uh, he's more of the singer than I am for sure. Uh, so I, I don't I don't dabble too much into the singing. But today on the show, we do have some news to catch you up on. Options that were declined and players who were extended the qualifying offer, which is $18.9 million for the 2021 season. Try and figure out what was real and what wasn't for the abbreviated 2020 season. No, it's not just a bit. This isn't an actual philosophical episode of FBT. Uh, we're going to look at some players who struggled mightily this season. What was, you know... Are we actually worried about any of these guys? I mean, a lot of these guys uh, we've seen perform in the past. So uh, we'll talk about some of those players. And then we have a few of your questions to answer later on in the show before we do all that. Mike, are you a big Halloween guy? We just passed Halloween weekend. It seems like everybody who I've had on, we had on Nick Pollock last week and Scott, not a big Halloween guy. Are you a big Halloween guy? I I need somebody. Help me out here. Yeah, I'm not going to be that guy for you. <laughs> my wife, my wife is a huge Halloween person. My kids love I have kids. I have three. So, of course, we celebrate it. We do it upright for them. But I'm not the one that gets dressed up. I'm the one holding the sacks of candy. And but this year I worked. So this year I wasn't even there for it. I was on shift. Those okay. who don't know, I'm sorry. Like I'm on shift because I'm a firefighter paramedic full time. And then this is like a second job slash pretty much like a full time job feels like sometimes. But yeah, so I was on shift that night and got a call that was Halloween like. But I won't go into that. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> why did they call you Sleepy K? I noticed this in your Twitter description, and I honestly don't know the story behind it. All right. Um, this started, I, I got the nickname, I think, just before that little, I guess, that league that never really took off that you and I kind of really started talking more through. And um, long story short, I fell asleep podcasting. <laughs> 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 Which is crazy to think because anybody who knows me and for those who might be obviously new listeners and never hearing me before, I talk a lot. I'm really good at talking. Um, I don't. I, but here, this was before I was doing video podcasts and like all the other stuff that's kind of evolved over the last year or so in the fantasy baseball side of things. And it was one of my it wasn't like a, I didn't have a special guest host. I wasn't doing a guest spot. I was hosting with one of my uh, good friends, George. He's one, he's one of the co-hosts on the Base Loaded podcast. And it's one, like, I'll paint the picture. It's like one, one thirty in the morning, Eastern time. And he's West Coast, so I always do. I, I stay up late with him. And we were talking about J.P. Crawford. I won't forget it because it bored me. We were talking about J.P. Crawford <laughs> at like 1.30 in the morning on a podcast. And I just fell asleep on him. There was, again, there was no video. And I used to podcast on my couch before I set up my, had my little setup in this corner here. So one thing led to another. I leaned back into my couch chair and my mic is on a arm. So I moved it back with me. One thing led to another. And I'm like sleeping for like 15, 20 seconds, woke myself up because I realized he stopped talking. Like I caught onto it and <laughs> yeah, he put it out there. And then Ralph Lipschitz, I was in a, a podcast league with him, um, like a redraft league. And he loves his nineties rap, I guess. And he called me sleepy K because like, he thought it was like a cool rap name, like a nineties rap name. And I just kind of ran with it, man. I mean, there's, I've been called way worse. I'm sure all of us have been called way worse in our lives. So this was like, I'm like, cool, I'll take a nickname. And, and it actually does have fantasy appeal because you can, you, you can play off the word sleepy and all that. So, but yeah, I kept it in a strip because I fell asleep on the podcast. I, that is, as somebody who knows what it's like to podcast at one o'clock in the morning, as Scott and I did throughout the regular season, I understand like, dude, some late nights that you have to deal with for sure. So Scott's usually drinking his sodas. And if you listen to the podcast throughout the season, you know, we get late night Scott White sometimes and it gets a little (laughs) wacky here on the show. Uh, But yeah, dude, I can, I can definitely, uh, uh, you know, appreciate that. I know what you're talking about when it comes yeah. to uh, podcasting pretty late. All right, let's get into some of these news and notes, things that are happening around the league. We haven't talked about this in a while. We did some of our early position previews for the 2021 season. You can go back and listen to those on demand. These players had their options declined and are now free agents. And for what it's worth, 
in my opinion, I think we're in for a very slow-moving offseason, which, of course, comes to no surprise. Buckle up. There are a ton of names here, and we'll talk a little bit more about a few of them in depth. Corey Kluber, Colton Wong, Charlie Morton, Howie Kendrick, Adam Eaton, Eric, T- Eric Thames, Jay Happ, Brett Gardner, Ryan Braun, Brandon Kinsler, Wilson Ramos, Mitch Moreland, Chris Archer, John Lester, Roberto Osuna, Carlos Santana, Edwin Encarnacion, Sergio Romo, and perhaps the most surprising of all, Brad Hand, who just led baseball with 16 saves. So I understand there are a lot of names to remember there. Write them down, go back, listen 20 seconds ago, write them all down, see what happened. Uh, But I just want to mention Brad Hand, I mean, from the get-go here, Mike, it was a bounce-back season for Hand, a 2.05 ERA, 0.77 whip, but eh, buyer beware a little bit for no matter where he lands or if you plan on drafting him as a closer in fantasy, fastball velocity went from 92.7 miles per hour in 2019 to 91.4 miles per hour in 2020. Swinging strike rate went from 13% to 10.5% in 2020, and it had a 57% fly ball rate. Again, this was all Brad Hand. So on the surface, numbers look pretty good. Okay, you dig a little bit deeper. Doesn't look so good for Brad Hand, Mike. Exactly. And I was I was kind of fading him. I, I was wrong on Brad Hand in 2020. I want to be very clear because I was fading him on the off chance of this kind of happening last year, as in maybe not being cut, but I expected him to be traded. So I was surprised they didn't pick up the option to try to move him. But I guess they didn't. It's, it's so weird, man. They They've had this team that's like somewhat competitive and could have been had they spent. They keep crying poor, making tra- I have such a hard time with the Indians understanding what they're doing. But yeah, you mentioned, I think the biggest thing for me really is that drop in, uh, that drop in velo. And that is always something to be concerned about, especially with a relief pitcher where a lot, you see a lot of these guys probably increase their velocity knowing that they didn't have to throw as much this year as a whole. So that's something to be, to be aware of. And then of course you mentioned the five ball rate increasing. Where does he land? And does he get a job? Do, you you think it's gonna be slow? I'm kind of torn because we saw it kind of come quick and fast last year, and I'm wondering how much these players have in mind that 2022 potential lockout coming. Because you know I hate to bring that up because it's you know it's doom and gloom as it is with 2021. Kind of we assume it's gonna be a full year, but we're not sure yet because coronavirus it's spiking again. But again, a whole other discussion. We don't really know what's gonna happen with 2022. Do players just say you know what? Give me two years. Give me give me one guaranteed year. Like you have like a lot of these guys are older too. So a lot of these guys might just take a one year deal and retire. Uh, Charlie Morton being like the big name here on this list. He's a guy that's just another one that stands out as I'm surprised the Rays didn't just take him back because he's willing to pitch one more year. And I think it was a pretty team friendly contract, but he should probably get signed for a pretty solid, uh, you know, pretty favorable deal. But he's a guy that I think he signs faster because I think it's known. It's more of a year to year thing with him at, at and the next year might be his last anyway. So someone like him, but versus Colton Wong who's still, I think entering his age 30 season. So might he might want a longer deal. So he might sit out long. So you got kind of have to play that guessing game and it's unfortunate, but I, I know I jumped around from like one guy to another, but hand again, just, I got to see where he lands. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely avoiding him in any early draft until we figure out where he's going. Yeah. And I have a Yankees group chat. Everyone knows by now I am a Yankee <laughs> fan and these guys are saying like, let's go get Brad hand. Would, I guess it would be all right for the Yankees, but it, I mean, it would be terrible for his fantasy value. So I don't think many people are drafting this time of year and we'll have a lot of time to figure things out once he signs somewhere. Uh, but my guess is he's not going to be back in Cleveland. So uh, Mike, your early hunch, who closes in Cleveland? Is it 
wild thing. James Karinczak, is that where we're going? I tweeted that out last week, and some, some people responded, uh, Emmanuel Class A, he's going to get his opportunity. Who is the prospect that they got in return uh, for the court in the Corey Kluber trade, of course? So uh, Class A, someone who throws extremely hard, missed all of the 2020 season due to a suspension, and he was hurt before that anyway, dealing with a back and uh, a lat injury as well. So your early hunch here on November 3rd, 2020, Karen Chak or Class A? I'm going to have to go with Karen Chak. And we saw him get utilized in pretty like high leverage situations as it was last year. Uh, I'm trying to find his hold numbers. I think he had, yeah, he had eight holds last year. So unfortunately, that came with three blown saves, but he had eight holds showing a willingness to put him in those high leverage situations. And that's what I'm banking on with, again, nothing else being known as of right now. Class A, not saying he can't get it. I'm just, he hasn't done it and he hasn't done it for this team. He hasn't even pitched for this team. Like, so <laughs> I want to see him be healthy. I want to see him be even given an opportunity to pitch in these situations. Whereas we've seen Krinchak at least be given opportunities to pitch in said situations. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, Karen check a 17.7 mm-hmm. K per nine this season, but 5.3 walks per night. Like he is Ugh. absolutely filthy. You watch him pitch 2.67 yeah. ERA 1.11 whip. All the underlying numbers are all right there with him as well. A 16.9% swinging strike rate. That was 53 strikeouts in 27 innings pitched, uh, but also did so <laughs> with 16 walks. So a little bit wild at times. He's got the whole wild thing going on in Cleveland. Uh, I, I, my early lean is that he will probably be the closer as well for Cleveland. And, you know, if he is, he has the opportunity to be top five at the position. I don't, I don't think that that is crazy. He really just has to work on getting those uh, walks down. Again, that is James Karinczak. A few more names here. Uh, Roberto Osuna was expected to miss most of the 2021 season anyway, so that doesn't really come as a surprise. Uh, I assume Ryan Presley will be the, the man again next season for the Houston Astros. Mike, do you think Corey Kluber has anything left? His early ADP in these two early mock drafts set up by Justin Mason was like 250. So, I mean, that is extremely late. It's probably going to correct itself a little bit, but the name pops out, Corey Kluber. I mean, that's that's pretty damn late. Any interest? It- is Corey, are we sure Corey Kluber's better than Mad Bum at this point, though? Like, we're not. <laughs> I can't tell you. Well, that's the problem. And that's that's where the issue is, is I think he still is because I think he has better stuff still, but we haven't really seen him pitch since like 2018. So, like, part of 2019, I, I know, but like, uh, like, and then you look at who's around him. And I guess as long as, long as the price is there, I'm good with it because I was looking at these, like you said, the Turley mocks. I was looking at the ADP and Justice Sheffield is criminally overlooked so he's like one name jameson tyone i think i know he has a team he should be healthy i'm willing to take a shot on him but then it gets to a lot of murkier guys like michael kopech we know he has a team but he didn't pitch last year how much did he really keep up with his conditioning how many innings are we going to see from him? thor coming off you know injury etc so he's in that he's in that right area to take a shot but we just don't know where he signs if he signs you gotta think he gets a one-year deal probably but a lot of, there's a lot to be determined with him. As of right now, the price is good, though. It's a long way of me saying the price is good where he's at. Jameson Tyone, a name that you bring up there, and I'm just I'm getting, slider. I'm getting giddy about Jameson Tyone, and he will be, I think, he, so he had Tommy John in 2019. Mm-hmm. I believe it was in either July or August. So yeah. he will have been removed from Tommy John for like 21 or 22 months by the oh, time. He's healthy. By the time spring train, like he was already throwing bullpens back in September, so Jameson Tyone should be good. I don't, I don't know what the innings look like, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, but 
I don't know what the innings look like for any pitcher next year. So, I mean, if you're going to get Jameson Tyone super late, I say, okay, just take the shot on talent and, and hope that uh, hope that he's not on any type of crazy restriction. But uh, a name that just very early on I'm, I'm paying attention to and getting excited about. No, no Edwin Encarnacion for the Chicago White Sox, which means we could see their top prospect, Andrew Vaughn. Probably not at the start of the season, but sooner rather than later, I, I think the White Sox all along knowing when they drafted him that, they expect him to uh, contribute in the you know in the short term and obviously in the long term as well. But like a lot to like with Andrew Vaughn and Anthony Rizzo, a Paul Goldschmidt type hitting prospect at first base for the White Sox. He'll either play first base or DH for them when he gets the call. But really good play discipline. Hits a lot of line drives. You know, I think in his prime could be a two eighty plus hitter, thirty home runs. Again, this is Andrew Vaughn, so. I don't know when we'll see him, but this could open up the path for him sooner rather than later with no Edwin Encarnacion. The players that are remaining on their teams because of options that were either picked up by themselves or by the teams that they are on. Nick Castellanos will remain with the Cincinnati Reds. Rizzo with the Cubs. Giancarlo Stanton. Grr. Oh, wait, I have this. Giancarlo. Non si può stoparlo. Whatever that means. And Zach Britton <laughs> will remain with the Yankees. Uh, J.D. Martinez is with the Red Sox still, and Starling Marte, you mentioned, uh, had his $12.5 million option picked up by the Miami Marlins. This group received the qualifying offer, which, of course, is a one-year $18.9 million uh, deal. Trevor Bauer, George Springer, D.J. LeMahieu, J.T. Real Muto, Marcus Stroman, and Kevin Gosman. Great job by Kevin Gosman, like rebuilding his value. And most people will look at this mic and say, oh, well, it's a no-brainer. Gosman's going to take this, this qualifying offer. I think there's a chance that he can actually get a multi-year deal where, I mean, if he wants to set himself up financially, like with some security for a while, now might be the best time to do it. Coming off a of season 3.62 ERA, 1.11 whip, 79 strikeouts in 59 and two-thirds innings pitched. If he qualified, his 15.2% swinging strike rate would have ranked 7th among starting pitchers, just ahead of Hugh Darvish, Max Scherzer, and Denelson Lamette. It's a pretty damn good company for Kevin Gosman, Mike. Yeah, and I'm so torn on this because we know he has the two pitches, the, you know, and the splitter being the kind of the pitch that brought him out of the woodworks last year even i think it was 2019 came out of like relief and showed those that potential the strikeout rate increasing and all that and then brought it into this year and really showed us that he could still do it and he's like the perfect analytics type of guy he can go five innings strong it seems like i feel like you know pushing six innings without that third pitch is iffy but he like you said it was a great job to get this offer and i don't know because a multi-year deal would he even get this much that's why i'm at like i think i think if he was a free agent, this would have been like a two-year $18.9 million offer to him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he would have gotten this on one-year deal. So I think this was smart by the Giants, though, because I have yet – you know, I've, I've learned to not question how they run their team. And I think their thinking is either that they're going to compete uh, – because, you know, they seem to always somehow compete and be scrappy. But if not, they're willing to eat some money knowing that they'll probably be able to flip them for some prospects. Right. Yeah. And that's the right thing to do. Eat some, eat some of that cash because they're a lower team on the payroll anyway. If, I, if I'm, I mean, I can't envision much money being on the books next year. So uh, that's, I think it was a smart move. I, everyone's saying good job, Gosman, but I think it was a really good play by the Giants. 
Yeah, no, that is a fair point as well. Marcus Stroman, I mentioned, uh, he might actually take this qualifying offer and try and reestablish some of his value. I believe this is his age 30 season, so he can go back into free agency at 31 years old, which isn't terrible. Get a multi-year deal. We'll see what happens with Marcus Stroman as well. We had a few managers hired. 76-year-old Tony La Russa, this is interesting to say the least, joins the Chicago White Sox. And A.J. Hinch, you might have heard of the fella, is headed to the Detroit Tigers. Say what you want about the cheating scandal, but he did help the Houston Astros turn things around and obviously has a stable of young pitchers with the Tigers, Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, and Matt Manning is coming, and of course they have Spencer Torkelson, so it's it's not a terrible job to have right now, the Detroit Tigers. It's somewhat interesting, actually. So AJ Hintz is, is headed there, and the Reds the Red Sox job remains vacant. All right, so what was real and what wasn't in the 2020 season? This basically a 28-minute introduction to the show, so there you go. Uh, I wrote an article about it recently on CBSSports.com, and my first and main point is that we have had really good players in the past have two-month slumps. And the most recent examples, you just look at 2019, in the first 60 games of the season, Jose Ramirez had a 617 OPS. Yu Darvish had a 5.02 ERA. In the final 60 games of the season in 2019, Manny Machado had a 687 OPS, and Luis Castillo had a 5.08 ERA. So just imagine if we had to draft for 2020 knowing only those things about those players. If we knew, okay, Jose Ramirez had a sub-700 OPS, same thing as Manny Machado, you would have got those players at extreme discounts heading into the 2020 season, and that's basically what we're dealing with heading into the 2021 season with players who I kind of think are known commodities at this point. So let's talk about a few of these guys. Don't want to spend too much time on this player, but Christian Yelich, my my concern here, Mike, is just the lineup that he's in and that he does not have a lot of protection. Maybe Lorenzo Cain being back in the lineup, look, he's not going to offer protection, but at the top of the lineup, you know, someone that, okay, he has legitimate on-base skills, and, you know, that can help someone like Yelich, but we'll talk about Hira in a little bit, worried that, like, outside of that, like, there's not a lot in the Brewers lineup. A career-high, near 31% strikeout rate for Yelich. He was way less aggressive than ever before. He had a 671 OPS against right-handed pitching which is just super weird. That's 895 for his career. Do you have any concern over Christian Yelich, Mike? Other than, like you mentioned, I think the big concern is to see how the Brewers attack this offseason, see if they can get some, just some supporting cast, even like respectable names. Like at least he had Moustakis in 2019. And I'm trying to remember, and then you mentioned Kane was there as well. So he had some cushion, but even with the spike in strikeout rate, which again, you're talking about a guy who's what? struck out more than 20% of the time once since 2013. So I don't buy that this is who he is, struck out rate-wise. I think there's a lot of passivity there. Like you mentioned, the uh, the walk rate being a crazy career high. But even with that, the Babbitt was also career low, and he still managed to be an above-average player with a WRC plus of 112. So, so he, he gave you the – and he gave you the, the four steals, the 12 home runs. He gave you that threat, and I think there's nothing but up with the batting average. So, yes, there's reason to be a little concerned – but he's still first rounder for me. And I know his ADP and you actually have it here roughly 11th. 
you give me a back end of the first round pick, I'm taking him 10 times out of 10. I'm not concerned. I think the health is there. And he, what if he's another guy that I'm, I, th- I swear I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Maybe not that he was one of those that actually watched tape in game and he didn't have the access to that tape. I know JD Martinez mentioned that a lot, like yeah. not having a lot of his in game stuff. So maybe he's one of those players that just everything was thrown off. You just, there's a lot of that. Players saw pitchers they never saw before. Hitters, uh, pitchers saw hitters they never saw before. Ups and downs because of that, because of the schedule and the division. So I'm willing to let that be a pass, and I'm going to look at this as a uh, as a value pick. And I, I do think there is some upside for the lineup to turn around. Like if Luis Arias gets a full season with the Brewers, you know, once a top prospect, I think obviously that can help their team. I'm looking at Avisael Garcia right now to see if he is still – he is signed with the team throughout – 2021 so he's another name where if he can bounce back I mean that can offer a little bit of protection they have some guys that can be better here in this Brewers lineup so uh, that's the only thing that I'm worried about but I think once upon a time we said that about Freddie Freeman a couple years ago when the the Braves were going through a rebuild we're a little bit worried all right what's gonna happen with Freddie Freeman he was still awesome I had that slight concern over Juan Soto heading into this season no concern there. That wasn't an issue either. So maybe I'm just making something out of nothing. I, I, I got to read more about Yelich in the offseason and see what the Brewers do here. But just pay attention. I, I, I got to just ever so slightly worried about Christian Yelich. Another name, Glaber Torres. I This is a very interesting one. He hit 243 in 2020, three homers, 17 runs, 16 RBI, one steal in 42 games. He dealt with quad and I believe it was hamstring injuries for a decent portion of the season he was playing through those injuries so it could be as simple as that and you know in his age 21 season and 820 OPS in his age 22 season and 871 OPS and then this year uh, 724 so it was all over the place uh, this season Mike what are you thinking about Glaber Torres his early ADP is at 63.9 where you know last year he was a top 30 pick so we could have a potential profit situation here with Glaber Torres. Yeah, I love. First off, I'm huge on like people who show this type of plate uh, plate discipline. So I love seeing that. But again, I don't like. But this is one of the, one of those situations I don't like seeing it because I think it's one of those that affected him negatively. And we did see him. You know, he struck out a little more in the playoffs. He still walked a ton, but he showed a little more pop and he actually stole a couple of bases. So maybe he came back around for the playoffs, maybe started figuring things out. Also the lineup was healthier back in the, you know, by the playoffs, the time the playoffs came around. So we, I'm if LeMahieu doesn't return, which I don't see why the Yankees wouldn't play pay LeMahieu, but if he doesn't, maybe Torres finds his way back up the lineup as well. So there's some, there's optimism there. I, I also, I also think he was never going to re- repeat what he did in 2019, but I don't think he was this bad either. So I think there's a happy medium. I think at his price, it makes sense, but he only, pl- he played 40 games at shortstop, none at second. So I don't think he has second base eligibility in most formats entering next year. So the price is surprising because Although I think he's better than a Correa type or Correa as a whole, I don't think he's 60 picks better than Correa at this point. Like, because I think the skill sets are so similar that again, it goes back to I'm actually very similar to you. I'm looking for price, I'm looking for discounts, I'm looking for uh, potential uh, return on investment. And I think Correa is a similar enough product here or a potential product that. But again, it doesn't warrant a 60 pick difference. So the price still might be a little, I haven't quite gotten there in my ranks either yet. So I'm not sure how I feel about that middle area. I can understand Torres's appeal there, but is it because he's still a flashier name than Correa? That's kind of where I'm at. Like I'm looking at their skill sets. I'm not seeing much difference. Although I do agree Torres has a higher ceiling. I just don't know if the floor or the media or the mean outcome is all that different. 
Yeah, and Glaber is like he's younger than Correa for sure. So I think people still kind of see that upside. Like Glaber hasn't mm-hmm. reached his ceiling. I think you're paying a bit of a Yankee tax here. Dansby Swanson in this early ADP yeah. is going 40 picks later, and I mean I like Dansby Swanson a lot. You could argue the Braves lineup is just as good as the Yankees, if not better. Um, we'll see what happens with Marcelo Zuna, but a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed from Dansby Swanson as well, and, and going 40 picks later than Glaber Torres. Uh, you mentioned what he changed in terms of his plate discipline this season, and it was really weird because he walked a career-high 13.8% and struck out a career-best 17.5%, but like he was way less aggressive than he usually is. His chase rate was down 10%. Uh, his swing percentage was down 10%. So we have to get the aggressive Glaber Torres back. Like, of, yes, we like plate discipline, but to an extent, do not change the player you are, especially when the player you were, Glaber, was very successful. So if that makes sense, like, just go back to being who you were, Glaber Torres, and I think you can, I think you get back to being like a 270 hitter with 30 home runs, you know, five to ten steals in a, in a really good Yankee lineup. So um, we'll see what happens uh, with with, uh, with Glaber Torres as well. He's like in this no man's land in terms of ADP. He's 15 picks after Tim Anderson. He's 17 picks before Javier Baez. Uh, and, and I wanted to kind of transition here into Javier Baez, somebody who, Mike, is very frustrating for me because yes. for years I was off of Javier Baez and I said there's no way he can continue to produce this way with this – lack of plate discipline and swinging and missing this much and and walking this little. Last year was the year I finally bought into Javier Baez and I had him everywhere, Mike. And he went on to hit 203 with a sub-600 OPS. So he was just... But it was a nightmare season. I, I like This was literally like one of the lowest percentile outcomes for Javier Baez on, on the you know terrible end. So I, I just can't imagine him being this bad again. My thing about Baez is that, and I've always been with you actually, and I, I honestly skipped on him this year as well. And I got again, I got lucky on this one because I've been wrong for so long. But he's the type of guy that I told you plate discipline is kind of a thing I really look at, and he's always been somebody I'm like fading. But what's what's always been a reason why he's always been able to outproduce some of it was you know the re, his sprint speed, his like he always had a plus speed to which he still does. But his sprint speed almost fell off a full uh, foot per second, like from 28.6 in 2019 to 27.9 feet per second. So Javi Baez kind of lost a step, so, so to speak. And he also suddenly tried pulling the ball more. I think he was just maybe pushing it a little too hard. But then, it, but it's weird because he actually wasn't as aggressive as he usually is. His O swing dropped foot three and a half percent, roughly. His swing, but so he's chased less. And just, all right, he swung less, but then he had more swing and miss in his game because then swing strike rate went up. So he wasn't as aggressive, but then he swung and missed more. So that's just a terrible combination. And then his first pitch swing percentage, which is something that people, I, I've, I've come to look at a lot more because I mean, you see it's 48.2%, 46.5%. And last year it dropped to 39.1%. So he wasn't even jumping on the first pitch strikes or first pitches as a, as a whole. Maybe players or maybe pitchers have adapted to stop throwing him strikes so much, so much, so, so early on. So there is something going on there. You got to see how he adapts. I think, a, I think a full off season can really help this whole Cubs team. And then, I mean, if you want a little bit of optimism, look how well, look how much he underperformed against, you know, off-speed. He had a batting average of 181 with an XBA of 315 against off-speed. I mean, the breaking pitches, and he overproduced against fastballs a little bit, so maybe there's some, you know, give and take there. But overall, 
the discounts there. And I think I want to, I'm going to get a few shares of them in terms of, you know, I'm going to make sure I roster them on a few teams just on the off. I mean, I don't know. I have a hard time fading him. He's 27 years old. I don't think he's done by any means yet. So I'll take the discount on a couple teams, but man, do some of the stuff just scare you for sure. And, and that's the gist of all this is that for the players that I've talked about thus far, Yelich, Glaber, to an extent, and Javier Baez, like we have a track record of all of those players being very successful. So, to an extent, I am willing to give these players passes because it was just an abbreviated 60-game season. Uh, for for Baez, you don't go from an 881 OPS to 847 to 599. Like, that doesn't just, you know, you don't just fall off that fast, like, even with the plate discipline that he has. So, uh, yes, it was a letdown. Uh, he was incredibly unlucky in terms of his BABIP, a 262 BABIP in 2020. That's 333 for his career. So... His early ADP is 81.2. That puts him in the seventh round. This was a guy that was consistently going in the third, fourth round the past couple of seasons. So there could be a buying opportunity for Javier Baez as well. Mike, someone who I'm going to be in on, and there is no like real statistical basis for me to lean on here. It's just a player that I trust the talent, and that is Austin Meadows, who will be 25 years old at the start of the 2021 season. Think of this timeline for Austin Meadows. He missed the first couple of weeks of the season with COVID. And then once he returned, he was dealing with an oblique strain, which shut him down in September. So, I mean, you put all those things together, and yes, his strikeouts went up and his batted ball data was all over the place. Like, he hit way too many fly balls this year. But I'm kind of just giving Austin Meadows a pass. Again, 25 years old, and in his last 162 games, has hit 269 with 33 home runs and 12 steals. So I am, I will be back in on Austin Meadows next year. That's just the point of this conversation. And I'm going to give him a shot as well. Again, I'm not somebody I'm going to maybe actively pursue because of the Rays or the Rays. And now with Rosarania's ascension to find more reasons to kind of platoon Meadows until he gets his stuff together. I think a lot of it was the COVID slash injuries though. And the big thing that kind of made me look into him a little bit was there was again, a small change in his stance he was a little more upright and then you look at the launch angle it spiked almost eight degrees and with it just comes so much like a change in the production you saw the barrel rate decrease you saw him get under the ball more and that makes sense because if you increase your launch angle you're gonna probably pop up the ball more his pop-up rate jumped three percent the under percent the under percentage which is again just another measure of getting under the ball 15 percent increase that's that's huge, and that explains a, that could explain a lot of his pro- troubles. I think, and you, if you look at his launch average launch angles over the first two years, thirteen point seven percent, and uh, sorry, thirteen point seven degrees and sixteen point seven degrees. That's where I would expect him to revert to, and with it should come the better quality of um of the of the abats as well, with the sweet pot, sweet spot percentage correcting, the barrel rate probably correcting along with it. So I'm I'm with you. I'm willing to give him a pass with all that going on in this crazy year, and then the Rays messing with playing time and all the other stuff in the playoffs, it's hard to really judge Meadows fully. Yeah, and he was sitting against lefties in the postseason, which I didn't, I didn't really understand completely because he's actually been adequate against lefties in his career. 798 OPS against lefties, 878 against righties. So, I mean, that's... Look, normally if you're 750 or better as a left-handed batter, I, I consider that a win, and, and that's where Austin Meadows um, has been at. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Mike is going to tell you why... 
you should be buying back in on Cattell Marte. Maybe why we should give him a pass this season. Just want to remind everyone that all of our Fantasy Baseball Today podcasts are also on YouTube. So if you want to see what Sleepy K and all of our other guests look like, that's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. And be sure to join our Facebook group as well, where our listeners are posting their off-season questions. They talk about keepers, dynasty value. Plus, it's a way to find other serious leagues if that is what you are looking for. The link is... For that is facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. And you can find both the YouTube and Facebook links in our episode description. We'll take a break. When we come back, Cattell Marte here, fantasy baseball today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Cattell Marte will be just 27 years old when the 2021 season starts and has just second base eligibility at this point. I asked Mike before the podcast, do you have anyone you want to talk about? Any players that you feel passionate about? Guys that you think might be able to bounce back? And he said, Cattell Marte. So now is your opportunity, Mike, to tell us why you like a gentleman who just hit for two home runs in 45 games in the 2020 season. Okay, <laughs> this is where I get to defend my love for Cattell because I know the numbers aren't in his favor and everyone's going to look at 2019 being the big juice ball year, which it was, but there was a lot more that went into it as well. You know, he was more of a pull ball hitter. He increased the long angle. There was a lot of stuff that went with him. And again, he has such a good hit tool, being that he's a guy that never strikes out. He usually walks better. He walked really bad like for a low amount this year, but just a guy that really put emphasis on getting the ball in the air more, and it worked for him. And this year, the average launch angle was still at 10 degrees, so it wasn't a launch angle issue. So then, Mike, what happened? I think it was just that wrist. I think because he was dealing with left wrist inflammation. I think he was playing through it. He eventually went out and got you know got rested or got some rest and all that. But you try to be a switch hitter with wrist issues. Look at Ozzy Albies. He struggled mightily. I think he had a wrist issue as well. Went out, came back, and tore up the ball for the remainder of his time during that season. That's why he's not really being affected in drafts. I think Marte would have corrected, you know, would have righted the ship had he had a chance to. And it's just another guy I'm willing to chalk up to injury being a big issue. And if people are worried about the power production, I'm, I am I was really clear when I was big on him coming into, the, uh, 20, into 2020. I never thought he'd be a 
30 home run hitter again. I always pegged him around 25 home runs. And if and we've come to learn, and I know there was a good article by um I'm I can't, I'm thinking of his um, of his uh Twitter handle right now for some reason. Uh Dolph Hall. Okay. Oh man, it's gonna Alex, oh, Chamberlain. Alex Chamberlain. Yep. Yes. Yeah, see, he has that he has that handle, it's hard to pronounce. <laughs> but Alex Chamberlain just came out talking about how max exit velocity is a really good early indicator of power. And if you go look at Catel Marte, not just qualified hitters, of all hitters, of all hits in 2020. He had the eighth hardest hit ball in, in terms of max exit velocity during the regular season. I believe there was a couple home runs in the offseason that would have pushed him to the 10th. Either way, if you count those, he's he was still a top 10 hit in all of the regular season and postseason in terms of max exit velocity. So that's an indication that the power is still there. Granted, it wasn't a home run. It does not matter. It's the fact that he hit a ball that hard. And that's the same reason why people still love Vlad, because even though Vlad hits a ton of ground balls, which Cattell doesn't hit a ton of ground balls, but he has a plus speed tool to actually – if that does, it won't affect his batting average. But it's just, it's just a reminder that the power might not have showed in the bottom line, but it was still there. And I think the wrist injury was a big reason why he wasn't able to get the quality of contact on the ball, maybe. And it kind of threw off everything. So I don't think he was as good as 2020 showed, but I think he's better than what – uh, sorry, I know he wasn't as good as 2019 showed, but I don't think he's as bad as 2020 showed either. There's a happy medium there, kind of similar to Gleyber Torres. Yeah, and I don't want to just give you a, a... – cop-out projection of, okay, well, you know, we'll combine what he did in 2019 and what he did in 2020, and we'll project that over 150 games, but I don't think that he's going to maintain a home run to fly ball ratio of 19%, which he had in 2019, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's going to be 3.8% either like it was in 2020. So if we can get a 300 batting average with 20 to 22 home runs with solid counting stats, home uh, runs and RBIs, like, yes, Cattell Marte can pay off a, a an early ADP of seventy eight, which is in the seventh round. But I mean, and, and second base, yeah, second base second being base is kind so of a bad. bad position. The one that it's going to be interesting to me, and I, I have them ranked back to back right now, and I have Jose Altuve one spot higher is Altuve versus Cattell Marte because Altuve just he did not have a good regular season, but in the postseason he just clicked, and that was against some of the best pitching in baseball. So Altuve versus Marte is is I think a conversation a lot of people will have in the offseason, and I, I think that it is warranted. Um, a few other names that I actually wrote about, and you can go check them out again on CBSSports.com, is uh, Chris Paddock, who we're not going to get to here, and, and Frankie Montas. So if you want to read about why I am giving those guys a pass for the 2020 season, you can find that at CBSSports.com. A few names that I'm worried about. I'm not going to overreact too much over what they did in 2020, but I, I think that there was enough there where I, I, I have... I have legitimate concerns over Kesson Hiera, Chris Bryant, and Patrick Corbin, the three names that I'll just mention here quickly. Hiera is still extremely young. He'll be 24 years old when the 2021 season starts. And I, I, I still think he's loaded with potential. But the strikeouts, a 34.6% strikeout rate, fifth highest among qualified hitters in 2020. A 20% swinging strike rate was second behind only Luis Robert. Uh, he... Hiera led the National League with 85 strikeouts in 59 in just 59 games. So strikeouts are an issue. The Babbitt cratered from uh, compared to 2019. Worry about those things. Uh, you know his quality of contact went down. Chris Bryant just a ton of injuries at this point. His plate discipline is starting to slip as well, and he's getting up there in age. He's not old per se, but he's 29 years old. Patrick Corbin. 
I, I just don't think that I can have anything to do with him. The fastball velocity down, the swinging strike rate way down. Uh, he just led all qualified pitchers with a 1.57 whip. So Corbin, Bryant, Hira, three names for me early on here in the offseason, Mike, that I cannot just look the other way when it comes to 2020. I actually do have legitimate concerns. Yeah, and the one that really sticks out to me, and it's because I started I started like arguing with people on Twitter already about this one, is uh, Kisten here. I'm really, I'm with you. I'm really concerned. You mentioned the second worst swing strike rate in baseball, the worst contact rate. So a lot of it is I think pitchers figured him out. Because in 2019, he kind of overperformed across the board on fastballs, breaking balls, and off-speed pitches. So you take that overperformance and you regress it to even the mean, but it looks like he obviously regressed even farther, but nothing indicates in the numbers that he's going to just bounce back from that. And then he saw less fastballs as a whole, more breaking balls and off-speed pitches. So it shows that pitchers obviously adapted showing that because he was able to hit fastballs. And I believe, now correct me if I'm wrong, but he also saw a lot more pitches up in the zone. So that also included, like, that added to his, his woes a bit. So all in all, of these three names, he's the one I'm most worried about because at least the other two have some of the concerns baked into their ADP. He does not really. Like, I'd rather kind of just sit back. I'll take Altuve right now over him. I'll probably take Catal Marte over him too because I trust them with a little more track record. And here, uh, the ceiling's higher, but are we sure the floor isn't, uh, isn't Odor? 30, 12, and 220? Damn. That was crazy. That just blew my mind. Because I'm like, please, Kesson Hira does not, do not become Rudnet Odor. Like, please don't. Because 30% K rate too. Over 30% each of the last two years. It's not crazy. It's not like. That's the, that, now that's his floor. Like, that's his absolute, like, we saw that. That was, that was his floor this year. Right. But when you look at Rudnet Odor, it's a, it's a 30 plus percent strikeout rate with 30 home runs and double digit steals. The counting stats are nice, but because he's going to get so many at-bats in the middle of that lineup, that batting average is going to sink you, and you're drafting him to where he needs to be more of a at least a 3.5 category producer to kind of give you back some, you know, return on investment. Whereas if you're only getting three categories with a top 70 pick, and you mentioned here like a six-round six round pick roughly, that's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. Yeah, and even if you play in a points league, the strikeouts are yeah. – like you want plate discipline in a points league and his strikeouts are just massive. He averages 2.4 fantasy points per game this season. So um, yeah, troublesome for sure. When it comes to hero, the early ADP is 70, which puts him puts him in the sixth round. I still, I like the talent, but I might just take a year off in 2021 on Hira and like an evaluation year and see kind of yeah. how he bounces back. And honestly, if he goes off, I won't be mad at myself for not having shares of Keston Hira. So you can read about those, again, more at cbsports.com. We do have some mailbag questions that I wanted to get to here. And these first couple of ones are from our Apple podcast reviews. And this one is from Helton4, Rockies fan, Todd Helton, a.k.a. Andrew. I snuck away with the championship this year in my 10-team head-to-head points league, and that gives me the first overall pick in 2021. Interesting. So you win the championship in your league and you get the first pick. That's... that's it's a pretty nice prize. Pitchers are more valuable in our league, so I am torn between Jacob DeGrom and Shane Bieber. I had DeGrom this year, and he did fantastic work for me. Who should I take first overall next year? What do you think, Mike? Can I pass? I mean, um, it's uh, it's tough, man, because I know Bieber, like it, he did the best in this format, but we talked about losing hand. That bullpen isn't looking great. The offense lost Hernandez and Santana. So until, they, until we see the moves they make, 
I don't try. I think he's going to become Degrom, where we're going to see the win totals go down. So I'm going to take my chance on probably Garrett Cole having the most win potential here with a similar ceiling for in terms of uh, points per game and innings per game. And and I'm t- I'm torn between Cole and Degrom with Bieber falling third for me. Yeah. So my early pitcher ranks, I have it. DeGrom, Bieber, Cole, that's more so for Roto, but in a points league, yeah, I might agree with you with Garrett Cole because you look at all three pitchers here, their last 45 starts, Garrett Cole has gone six-plus innings in 37 of his last 45, which is the most of these three pitchers. So he's going to give you depth, and I mean, he really started to click down the stretch with Kyle Higashioka as his catcher, and it seems like that's the way that they're trending for next season, that he will at least have a personal catcher. Uh, and the win potential is still there with the Yankees. I would expect their uh, their bullpen to bounce back as well. So first overall, I don't know if Garrett Cole's available. You didn't even list him, but uh, assuming he's not kept or something, I would go with Garrett Cole, and I think Mike Trout is still in the conversation. Yes. Uh, although it sounds like you want to take a pitcher here in a head-to-head points league, which, honestly, I can't really blame you. This next one's from Tomp 242 10-team head-to-head points. Keep forever. Dynasty League. I am trying to trade for Garrett Cole. Right now, my offer is Zach Veen, Max Meyer, Zach Wheeler, Tony Gonsolin, Tanner Houck, and my first and second round picks for next year's first year player draft. I'm receiving Garrett Cole and Sam Huff, who is a catcher prospect with massive amounts of potential for the Texas Rangers. Um, Quality pitching is extremely valuable in our league, so I am ready to give up more average guys for an extremely good pitcher. What do you think? What do you think, Mike? So I initially first thought was like, wow, that's a lot. But let's let's think about a a points league, 10 team at that. So 10 teams already shallower. Points league, you have no middle infield, typically no corner infield, only three outfielders. Is that really become a lot to give up? Because now this guy's going to have a, lot, a big roster crunch. You're going to be able to replenish your minor leagues off the waiver wire, probably with some solid, some decent prospects that are maybe not on the radar in this type of format usually. Plus, we don't know how many prospects they can keep as well. I'm. It's the picks that bother me. If I can keep that first round pick and give up a second, and just a second here, or maybe I would like to try to keep the first round pick. But if this is like a final deal, take it or leave it. I'm willing to make the move, especially assuming that Cole is like a piece that's that's going to not only give you the chance to win again, it's format dependent. This format being this shallow and being points with pitching being such a big, like such a need, such a need and should be valuable. I'm willing to give up the steep price because I just think there's going to be so much to replace off the waiver wire when it comes to those uh, prospects. Yeah, and that is a good point. My first instinct as well is that this is a bit steep, but... I would, first of all, I would only make this trade if, if you're ready to compete. I think first yes. and foremost, like making dynasty trades, you have to be realistic with yourself. And yeah, okay, if you're ready to go, then yes, you can trade away prospects and you can try and compete. But, you know, if you're in the middle of a rebuild, obviously this doesn't make sense with Garrett Cole, I believe, turning 31 years old next season. So you have to be in the thick of things. I hear, like, you, you kind of talked me into a little bit here, Mike. Um, there's a lot to like with these players, but in a 10-team league, you probably can replenish rather quickly and you're you're crunching the roster, so I like it. I like it. If you're ready to compete, I would say take the trade. Try and talk them out of one of those picks there. This one's from Cannon Four. We're going the other way from a ten team league to a twenty team league. Head to head categories, six by six with OBP and holds. Keep five of these players: Mackenzie Gore, Ian Anderson, Jesus Lazardo, Matt Chapman, Chris Bryant, Kevin Biggio, and Alec Bohm. Five of those guys, Mike. Gore, Anderson, Lazardo, 
boom and it's between chapman and biggio i'm gonna go with biggio for the speed because that's the one thing he's lacking there yeah so this person's also already keeping trevor story trey turner oh yeah cody bellinger ozzy albi so they actually do have a lot of speed uh but the obp definitely helps kevin biggio as well yeah has Aaron Nola, Zach Gallon, and Clevenger as some of his keepers already? Uh, yeah, I, I would go Lazardo, Ian Anderson, Biggio, Bohm, and Gore. <laughs> yeah, we are on the same page. Chris Bryant, um, especially like, getting up there, you can't really sacrifice any of these young guys for Bryant. And Chapman, I, I got to see what happens in the offseason because this guy just had hip surgery and he has like four months of rehab coming up. So I, is Matt Chapman going to be the Matt Chapman of old? I don't know. I can't answer that right now. In November 2020. So see what happens with Matt Chapman. Your emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I, not like E-Y-E. Some people have asked about that in the past. This one's from Dustin. Judging by the success the Rays had this year with their analytical-driven bullpen approach, I think it's fair to assume teams will look to mimic it. Therefore, I expect we will continue to see less and less true closers and saves will continue to be spread out amongst the bullpen. I'm in a long-standing 12-team keeper league with standard 5x5 scoring, and I think it's time we explore options to counting saves as a category. I think it's time we explore options to counting saves. Maybe a, a different option? Maybe I, yeah. I copy and pasted this wrong. Anyway, are there any stats that you recommend to potentially replace saves? What about a stat that measures the value of a specific out? That's tough. I like saves plus holds personally. I mean, I think that kind of encompasses all relief pitching and it gives you a chance to get the best relief pitchers on your team, not just target a specific stat. So saves plus holds is a good one. And if you're looking just to get kind of fun with it, maybe look for like your high-end relievers. Go K, K, uh, K per nine or something fun like that maybe. But saves plus holds is usually my go-to because it gives you a chance to kind of just get the best relievers out of any um, out of any out of baseball. Period. Alrighty, that's it, Mike Sleepy K. You made it through your inaugural edition of Fantasy Baseball today. How does it feel? I mean, it's awesome. It's like I'm dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, this guy's like passed out in his chair, sleeping. Hopefully, oh. we didn't put you to sleep. Hopefully, we didn't put anyone to sleep out there. Again, Mike Curlin, give him a follow on Twitter at Mike underscore. K-U-R-L-A-N-D. He is the host of the Bases Loaded podcast, contributor for Roto Baller. Uh, Mike, is there anything else that I missed that you would like to promote while you're here? Um, I am working on a draft kit. Just thought I'd plug that real quick. Uh, SP Streamer draft kit, if you're not familiar. it's He's a good friend of mine. He's been doing good things on Twitter, and he probably draft kit last year. And this year, I'm putting I'm going ahead and pretty much covering all the offensive side of things. So be on the lookout for that. But other than that, I'm kind of just... Hang in there, moving. So I got a lot going on. But other than that, yeah, that's about it, man. Thank you for having me. I really honestly can't thank you enough. This is, like I said, as cliche as it is, it's like a dream come true. So thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Nah, man, you did a fantastic job. Thank you for joining us. So appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically it for Sleepy K. I am Frank Sample. You all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.